don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling. What is up, all you savages and young degenerates? Raj Galardi back in your ears with another Call to Violence episode. This weekend was a little bit light, so let's get right into the thin of things. Um, you know, we had, uh, I think the only thing of significance was uh, we had the Circus Fight Club. I'm sorry, I mean the Dinosaur Fight Federation. I'm sorry. I mean Triller, the Triller Fight event or whatever they fucking call themselves. And what is there to say besides I told you so? But you know, you didn't even really have to hear it from me. Anybody, any anybody with any sort of combat sports knowledge or anybody who has any sort of pulse uh, on the fight game knows exactly how this freak show is going to go. Um, you have Vitor Belfort knocking out or finishing or whatever the fuck you want to call it, a mercy stoppage over Vander Holyfield at the end of the first round. Best moment of the card was Anderson Silva knocking out Tito Ortiz, and then you had David Hay fucking go eight rounds with some fucking dude. Uh, so I don't know what that was about. I'm glad he kind of got to, uh, I guess, bust out the cobweb or get rid of the cobwebs. I don't fucking know. Um, where do I even begin with this? Um, all of the outcomes we expected with this show uh, it came to fruition, and it still leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Um, you know what? You know what? No, no, no. Here, here. You know what? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Let me start with all the good things. Number one, that moment Anderson Silva knocks out Tito Ortiz, um, it, it brought me back to those old days, right? Like I felt like I was in middle school and in high school again. I felt like it was a Saturday night. Um, watching a UFC, just waiting for the crazy, spectacular Anderson Silva finish. And yeah, it's a 46-year-old version of that uh, against a guy who was also into his late 40s. But it's still like it brought me back to those old times and I couldn't help but be excited. And, uh, you know, I was working, I was closing the restaurant, so I didn't even get to watch this fight live. But um, once I finished with all my bullshit, I, I actually had forgotten that the fight was... I had a crazy Saturday night. I ha uh, Here, quick, side, quick little side note. I had to work the most obnoxious wedding rehearsal party at my restaurant that I've... Okay, it's not the worst one I've ever had to work on, but it is definitely in, in the last... Uh, in recent memory, was one of the worst ones I've ever had to work. Um... I'm talking about some bougie, bougie, bougie Israeli Jews coming in, all right? And that's not to be offensive. I'm just explaining the situation for for you guys. I mean, I, I love Jewish people, especially especially OGs from uh, from Israel. They are uh, quite the characters, and I love talking to them. But dude, when you get when you get wealthy people from any kind of culture, you just got to deal with you just deal with a little bit of different kind of shit. Um, God, dude, I, I, I could go. I could do a whole podcast just on this family. That was that was absolutely ridiculous. Here, let let me give you a little, just a tad little taste of what I had to deal with. Again, let me paint a good picture for you. Um, our restaurant is a small, casual. Okay, it's not small, but it is a 
casual to barely touching, you know, like upscale kind of bar. But it is just a pizza pasta place. Like, yeah, we got steak on the menu, but it's mostly pizza pasta, right? Uh, it's in Scottsdale. It's on that Tempe Scottsdale border, so you get a big mix of like bougie housewives, chicks with all kind of liposuction and Botox and collagen, and then you get a bunch of kids from fucking ASU too. So you get this weird mix of people, but it is not like we don't have a banquet hall. We don't have a, a separate room. Like when doing a wedding rehearsal type thing like this, this is not the place to be this bougie. But these motherfuckers, th- th- this bride was so crazy. She wanted lemon and cucumber skewered in all of the waters that were going to be presented outside. And there was 40 people. They rented out the patio. It's going to be 40 people. They all start arriving. We pour 40 waters. We skewer all the lemon and the cucumber. We have all of the waters ready. We begin to bring them out. And the bride has a complete meltdown and conniption fit because one of her bridesmaids forgot the custom-made pink with pink napkins with a diamond ring imprinted all over them. And uh, she had a meltdown, so we had to – she sent back the waters because no glassware was going to touch the table without a napkin under it, without these specific napkins under it. Not only did she bring her own napkins, but she brought her own uh, straws that all had diamond uh, cardboard cutout diamonds on them. And these were not plastic straws. They were cardboard uh, or paper fucking straws, which is just like, what the fuck are we doing here, guys? Um, yeah, it was fucking, it was fucking insane. And, and the, the mother of the bride, fucking way worse. Uh, I'm bringing fucking sangria to the goddamn table. And, um, uh, I got two things of sangria in my fucking hand. Uh, cause I got sick of using the tray cause it was fucking hard to balance with all the sangria coming out. And so I got the napkins and I got the, I got the sangria and I put one of the glasses down so I can grab the napkin and place it in front of the guest. And the mother snaps at me and goes, uh, 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 napkin first. And I'm looking at her like, are you fucking crazy and that fucking delusional that you can't see that I'm getting the goddamn napkin? I mean, it was fucking insane. And in my industry, when you're in service, you smile and you say, of course, how could I forget? Even though I wanted to dump the sangria all over her goddamn head. Anyways, back on track. So I get finished. Oh, 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 no, 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 no. I'm sidetracking again. Then they had to have uh, glitter diamond rings, uh, like confetti, over all of the table. And again, we are outside and our patio is like that pebble cobblestone type fucking layout so all of this confetti just sticks to the goddamn fucking uh floor of the patio and it took me forever to sweep it was fucking horrendous so anyways i get done doing all this shit i take out all the garbage i close the rest of the restaurant i'm literally taking the trash out i come i'm on my way back and the bar uh down uh in the same complex as my restaurant that's like closer to the dumpster i'm walking by and on the tv i see they got the fucking highlights they got must have sports center or some bullshit on and i'm like and they got the uh the highlights from uh from the thriller card and i'm like oh shit that's right let's see you know let's see what happened bust out my phone go to instagram first thing i see is anderson silva in that vintage, just that vintage Anderson Silva, 
ducking the what was it left hook, ducking those left hooks, coming over, slamming Tito, you know, uh, in the and uh, behind his ear with I believe his own I believe with his right hook because he's a southpaw. So yeah, whatever it was, flatlines Tito dead, flatlines him. I don't think we've ever seen Tito flatline like that. I can't think of a time. I don't, Chuck didn't even flatline him like that. But that was amazing. And I, it just, it, it brought, like, it completely changed my night. Even though I'd already kind of expected something like that. I mean, shit, Anderson just could have, like, waited on the ropes all night and just made it weird. And you'd be like, oh, okay, like, it's it's still glimpses of Anderson. And he's still got, the, you know, he's still there, but it's not, like, real vintage Anderson. But, no, that completely changed my night. It completely made everything okay. I, I literally walked back into the restaurant and everyone was like, what the fuck are you so happy about? We just had to deal with all that bullshit. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Anderson Silva just knocked out Tito Ortiz in vintage fashion. All right. Um, God, that was just, that That was so much. That that was just awesome. And, and it's nothing against Tito. It's not like I wanted to see Tito. I know, I know a lot of people wanted to see that happen to Tito, but I think the... I, I think the hate with Tito, I, I think he, he, you know, he does it to himself. So I don't really need to pile on. And that guy really has done a lot for the sport. That guy is a true fighter. Um, I mean, like, look at him. He's almost fifty, and he's still doing the damn thing. And um, you know, he's, you know, he kind of said some crazy shit leading into the fight. Uh, but I get he's frustrated about the weight and all that. But uh, but you know, gave it all to Anderson at the end. Even gave props to Anderson for giving up his first-class seat so Tito's girlfriend could uh, ride first class with him. You know, whatever. Fucking, it's all big fucking, uh, it's just a fight game at the end of the day. And, and for them, it's not like it means anything. Tito will still have his paydays and Anderson will still have his. Um, but then you get to that main event and you're just like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, absolutely, what the fuck are we doing here? Um... Vitor goes in there, does what Vitor does, finishes off this fucking legend in Evander Holyfield who shouldn't have been in there and deserves way deserves way better. And the fucking commentary had the nerve to say, "No one expect." You know what? I'm sorry. I got a bone to pick. Todd Grisham, you fucking suck, dog. I've never liked you. I didn't like you when you were in WWE. I didn't. I don't like you in kickboxing. I hate you in Glory. You went and had that like two card stint in the UFC, and I was like, "Are we really going this route, UFC? Are we really doing this?" Thank God, thank God he didn't last. You, you, you know what? That Michael Johnson versus Justin Gaethje was one of the best debuts for a fighter, right? In the UFC, like just talk about excitement and way to put on a show, and what a crazy momentum swinging fight. Do you know what almost ruined that was Todd Grisham's fucking commentary? Like, what do you like? Listen. Anybody in this space, anybody in the media space, anybody in the play-by-play space, anybody in any sort of uh, any sort of broadcasting space, you know, there's guys like John Anik, there's guys like Rogan, there's guys like Marl and Aro, uh, that make you that make that really discourage you, and you're like, fuck, Michael Chavello, uh, that make you go like, oh fuck, like I can't do this. Those guys are real professionals, and then you hear guys like Todd Grisham, and you're like, oh well, fuck, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, you know what my problem is? I get so discouraged doing this kind of shit. I just need to listen to Todd Grisham more, and I will have all the confidence in the goddamn world. Anyways, this motherfucker is saying this is what nobody expected. No, bitch. This is what everybody expected. 
I don't know what the hell you were thinking coming into there. I don't know if Triller paid you to make it seem like it was going to be anything different. But, dude, uh, at least show a better poker face and at least have a little bit better fucking take on a fight that everyone knew was going to end horribly. The only competent fucking person in that whole freaking event was the referee in that main event. And I know Evander's mad thinking he could have went longer, but that referee knew exactly what was going to happen if that went any longer. And you could tell he was he from the get-go, from the minute that bell rang. That ref kept a real close eye on Evander and was literally looking for any excuse to stop that fight. And that referee is a goddamn perfect human being and goddamn professional. That's all I got to say. That is what you want out of your referees. He took, he he looked at that fight for what it was. He knew what it was. And he wasn't going to let Evander take any damage that he wasn't supposed to have. All right. And he was the only professional in that whole thing. The only other professional I would say is that announcer, the guy who was doing the like pre-fight press conference and the post fight and all that. I actually really liked that guy. He asked the right questions inside the parameters of this fucking freak show. Um, I thought, you know, he gave everyone their light very well. I thought he complimented everyone, and I didn't think he shat on anybody after their loss. I thought he did a really good job of kind of summing up the event and kind of leading into whatever. But holy shit, um, that was just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, give me one second. I'm sorry, guys. My, uh, my allergies are fucking on fire right now. My eyes are itchy and watery. My nose is running and stuffy. I don't even know how it's possible to be runny and stuffy fucking allergies oh man anyways um yeah i mean besides that besides the anderson thing i just like fuck man what a sad show i mean are you really guys are you like it's no wonder why you guys are failing so much you guys are investing in anything but fights you guys are investing in names i mean from from uh junior and trump senior being on the commentary to mazadal being on there with them to your uh musical bullshit and then to the guys you actually had on the card like uh, talk about a cash grab and your guys aren't even seeing anything of this and you know how i know you're not seeing anything of this your fucking main um the guy who's the, the company that's giving you all your equity just pulled out so i don't know what the fuck you guys are gonna do now you guys are fucked this event was one and done which tells me that this fight didn't sell anything which I had a ink. Well, I mean, like it, it wouldn't take a fucking uh, rocket scientist to, you know, have a hypothesis that this fucking event was gonna flop. But look at what uh, Jake Paul Tyron Woodley did. That did what? Like, the the high estimates are four hundred k, and the low estimates are like low threes, even maybe like high twos. Like for how much for how much these guys are getting paid, for how much you're paying these guys, even on the Jake Paul side uh, on that Showtime card. Uh, you know, it's really showing that you, you, you kind of need the name factors, uh, to kind of keep this whole thing afloat. And you also need, uh, good fights and neither of these guys, neither of these productions have that right now. So these, uh, freak show money grab fights are really going to have to get their shit together if they want to keep this thing going. Um, and you know what too it's like you know what the problem with these fucking with these fights are is uh there's no inclination inclination of what's next i mean everyone calls out uh, all these fucking people just call out the same two guys it's either jake paul or conor mcgregor and it's like who gives a flying fuck who like who 
I, I get it there. You, you know what? And, and I had this, um, I had this realization that the whole, I got to call everybody out. I got to call out names that don't even make sense. I got to call out names who are high profile, but fights I will never get. And I, I whenever, whenever guys do that, I'm always like, God, dude, are they that fucking stupid? But then I had this realization when I was at work the other day that, oh, it, th- those call-outs aren't for me. It's for fucking boneheads who just read fucking headlines. And uh, my head chef, uh, great guy, great guy, loves sports, kind of, you know, not the biggest combat sports fan, but likes sports enough to when there's something big he watches, right? But I'm telling you, the only time this guy fucking talks about combat sports with me is when he reads some headline about some fucking idiot calling another fucking fucking dude out. And so the other day he comes up to me and he's like, oh, you hear about that Holloway call out? And I'm like, talking about Max Holloway? And he goes, yeah, that fucking British kid that knocked the kid out the other day, the, the young British kid. And I'm like thinking like, what the fuck is he talking about? And I'm thinking, um... I was like, you talking about like that 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 new kid, Patty Pimblet? And he goes, Yeah, Pimblet, yeah, that kid. He's calling out fucking uh said he's he's talking all that shit against Holloway. He's gonna fucking fight Holloway. And all I'm thinking is, what the hell is he talking about? Number one, I didn't even hear this shit. But number two, I don't really pay attention to that shit, so maybe he said something. Number three, like the guys aren't even in the same weight class. One kid's making his debut, the other guy's been in the UFC for like fucking fifteen years. Uh, former champ for, you know, and it's like, this doesn't, I don't even know how to respond to this because it, it's so ludicrous and it doesn't make sense. I don't even know if it really happened, but it, it made me realize like, oh, these stupid call, like even if it did, if it did or it didn't, these stupid call outs really pull in this casual crowd and yeah, it pisses me off, but fuck man, I guess if this is how guys got to get notoriety, I mean, I guess fucking so be it. Uh, it just pisses me off. I, I just, I, I really don't like it because it it, 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 it's all bullshit at the end of the day. It's all bullshit. But I, I, you know, but I guess that's just the society we're living in, right? You like, you look at politics, you look at the news, you look at the media, you look at everything. Everything is just fucking bullshit today. Everybody just gets so caught up in fucking meaningless bullshit, and they can't even see through when they're getting fucking got. Um, I don't know how I got onto this tangent, but fucking, um, but yeah, I don't know. Oh, fuck. I don't even remember what the fuck I was, uh, I was on about originally. But anyways, let's get to the fucking fights this weekend. It's kind of another light card. Uh, we got Bellator and UFC going head to head. Uh, you know what? Let me see if they're at the same time. Is UFC going early or are they going late? Ooh, they're going kind of, they're going semi-early. So their card starts at 4. I'm guessing Bellator is going to be on tape delay if you're watching it on any sort of streaming device at like 10 o'clock. Uh, give me one second, guys. Uh, again, um, not sponsored by these guys, but uh, my refreshment today is another lovely, cold, crisp, refreshing aha. Today I got the peach honey flavor, which I never thought peach and honey would go together, but this might be my favorite one. This might be my favorite one. Alrighty, so let's just start with the UFC because I got this fucking card pulled up. Um, again, um, not a whole lot going on. Uh, 
Emily Whitemare opening it up. Gustavo Lopez. I don't know half these motherfuckers. Montel Jackson. Cool, man. I feel like, what are you, one of the fucking boys to men? Oh, wow, you got Raquel Pennington uh, returning on the undercard against Panny. Is this Panny chick? Was she on the... Oh, yeah, she was. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, this actually should be a pretty good fight. Um, uh, Panny is coming over a win over Alexis Davis. Um, that fight was here in Arizona. I actually watched that fight live. Super, super tight technical stand-up fight. Um, uh, Panny's kind of like, you know, young up-and-comer. Not young. Like, she, she's pretty experienced. She's 16 and 5 and almost 30. So she's kind of, uh, she's kind of coming into her prime a little bit here. I actually thought Davis won the last fight, but it was super, super close. So you can't really, you know, that that's uh, uh, nobody got robbed per se. Um, but I'm gonna say that's a real tough fight for Pennington. Um, oh, you know what? I didn't even see the odds of this. Let me see the odds because that might be bet worthy. Uh, Bovada, dude, it's crazy how many uh, websites there are now to bet, especially now that it's uh, sports betting legal here in Arizona. It's just, dude, you type in any sort of sports book and you just get flooded with ads. How did I not catch this when I was doing the, uh, I'll get to that in a minute, but wow, Raquel Pennington is actually favored. So I'm going to go ahead and put that down in my, wow. Uh, yeah, Raquel Pennington is minus 130, so not a huge favorite. Um, the panty is plus 110. I'm going to put that right here. Plus 110. Cool. And we will come back to that in a minute. Uh, but that's actually a really good fight. And, um, I think that's a real tough fight for Raquel. Um, Panny's super, super fluid with her striking. Um, very calm, collected. Just the kind of person to kind of uh, this is the kind of person that Raquel can let the fight go to um, because she's not like it, it, it probably won't be overwhelming pressure. I can see Panny stealing this fight and just being very, very smooth, controlled and disciplined and kind of just running away from the fight, uh, running away with the fight, not from the fight because Panny definitely comes to fight. Um, so keep an eye on that one on the prelims. Uh, Mike Rodriguez and Tafan should be a decent little scrap. Main card against kind of light. Um, you got Buckley opening it up against Antonio Arroyo. UFC is definitely hoping uh, Buckley gets a nice win here. Nathan Manis should be a decent fight. I mean, Armand, Sarkurian, Kristan Giganos. I mean, these are these are all right fights. You got Ariane Lipsky returning. She's coming off of that. Um, She's coming off of that knockout loss to De La Rosa um, and uh, and Shevchenko. So this is kind of do or die for Lipsky here. Um, you know, she's kind of that, you know, cute young chick, but uh, got a lot of work to do. Um, so hopefully she gets back. I, I'm pretty sure they're setting her back up uh, to get a win here. Uh, but then uh, these next two fights actually aren't too bad. Um, decent fights. Uh, you got Ian Kutalaba and Devin Clark. And, you know, this is definitely a battle of styles, right? So Ian Kutalaba is just going to come forward, aggressive, berserker, lots of volume, lots of pressure. And Devin Clark is going to be looking for that takedown 10 seconds into this fight. Um, I, I literally expect this fight. I, I expect the ref to say go. I expect Ian to run after Devin Clark. And I expect Devin Clark to be on a, uh, on a double or a single leg by four minutes and 55 seconds into the first round. 
or sorry, I guess five seconds. At the four minute 55 mark of the first round, I guarantee you he's in on a fucking, uh, he's in on a double or a single. Or more, maybe the 450 mark, but still, he's going to be in on a takedown ASAP. Um, and I actually think Devin Clark can do work from the top. Uh, I believe he is coming off of his triangle defeat to um, Anthony Smith, which, you know, uh, I think he just got a little bit ahead of himself. Um, you know, he came out strong, he hurt Anthony, but then Anthony ended up getting the takedown on him, and they got into a decent scrap uh, scramble, but then once uh, once Anthony was able to get wrist control and lock in that triangle, it was a wrap. So I think it was a, 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 learning, uh, a learning experience for Clark. I don't think he'll find himself in those same positions, and, he, and Kutalaba is definitely not a threat off of his back like uh, like Anthony Smith is. So once Clark does get it down, um, I mean, he, he, he should be in total control. Um, if you guys haven't, go back and watch Devin Clark versus Alonzo Menafield. That was a great, awesome, light heavyweight scrap. Uh, lots of momentum shifts, both guys having their moments, and then Devin Clark really pulling it out with his wrestling. Uh, so if you haven't seen that fight, go back and watch that. Um, but yeah, I expect uh, Ian Kutalaba to come out strong. Kind of kind of blow his load a little bit, and then I expect Devin Clark um, to get the takedowns and the top control. And dude, if he can get in a, in a decent position, he could get a, a, a submission. I, I don't see him doing it by ground and pound, but I could see him getting a getting a uh, getting the uh, getting a choke of some sort um, over Kutalaba. Um, but also, I mean, I, I know I'm kind of flip flopping here. I'm just saying it, it's MMA, but Kutalaba could go out there and knock Devin Clark's head off. Um, but I still expect Clark to, Clark to get the job done. Um, that brings us to Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann. Uh, this is kind of uh, Anthony Smith's comeback tour uh, a little bit. You know, um, had those bad losses to um, what uh, uh, Raddick, Glover Teixeira, and uh, John Jones. Uh, oh no, I, th- I guess uh, he had that Gustafson win uh, in between. But um, excuse me, but still, but you know, um, looks great against Evan Clark again. Or you know, got those much needed takedowns. Got that triangle. Nice little rebound there. And then, um, dude, just, um, you know what I love about Anthony Smith? He goes in there. He takes down Devin Clark twice, right? And in that fight, you would have thought, oh, uh, Devin Clark will be going in for the takedowns. Anthony Smith, with his forward pressure, his crazy, crazy knockout power, his unpredictability, and he he's not a guy who only hits you with one kind of strike, right? He doesn't just hit you with punches. He doesn't just hit you with kicks. Or it doesn't just hit you. He hits you with everything. Elbows, knees. He'd probably headbutt you if you could fucking use it. Um, he hits you with everything. So, But instead with Devin Clark, he taps him out with a triangle off of his back. And then you would think with Jimmy Crute because Jimmy Crute's this big powerhouse. Uh, you know, And Anthony Smith definitely has the jujitsu and the grappling advantage that he'd want to get Jimmy Crute down. And what does he do? He fucking jabs his head off before kicking him with the most perfect... Um, leg kick slash calf kick right under the knee and fucking demolishes Jimmy Crute's fucking leg to where he can't even stand going into the second round. Um, so I love when guys can beat their opponents at their specialized part or specialized, you know, at the part that they're better at at the game. Um, and that's kind of, and, and you know, what's funny is he, he hasn't been, uh, or I guess he technically got out of the first round in the last one, but it ended at the end of the first round. And this could be another fight that only lasts a round. Um, you know, Span comes kind of hard and heavy early, 
doesn't have a lot. Oh, let's see here. Let's see how his record gets broken down. Because I want to say it's mostly first rounds, right? Yeah, he has. Uh, so he has 25 fights. Only five of those have gone to a decision. And how many first rounders, whether he loses or wins? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of those fights all end in the first round, whether he's winning or losing. Uh, majority of those are when he's winning, but still, uh, I don't really expect this fight to go out of the first round. Um, kind of expect Span to come out hard and heavy, and I actually think Smith gets the takedown and gets uh, like a... Uh, I, I expect him to get some sort of choke. I think he takes him down, gets him out, Beats him up a little bit. Span gives up his neck. Uh, turns to his back. Gives up his neck, and then that's a wrap. Like that's that every, every time I close my eyes and I think of this fight, that's the only way I see it going. Um, you know, if Smith can't get a takedown, it might get a little bit dicey. But I still expect uh, I, I still expect Smith to get this done pretty quick. Um, with within the first within the first two rounds. Um, you know, Span's great. He's explosive. He's got a lot of power, but he, there's really not much to his game besides that, unfortunately. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, again, that's kind of like all there really is with that. And I just closed the wrong. There we go. Uh, and then we got Bellator um, in my hometown of San Jose. And you got Phil Davis taking on the debut Bellator debut of Yoel Romero. And if you guys remember when uh, when they said Yol was uh, when Scott said Yol was cleared and they're just waiting for the last few things to to get him signed up for a fight, uh, I said a couple things. I said I hope they give him anybody but Phil Davis, right? And who do they give him? Fucking Phil Davis. Not only is this the worst matchup for Yoel in this division, um, but it's also like not really a good stylistic fight. Um, and why is that? Let's break that down. Okay. UL fights in spurts, right? And we don't even really know how he's going to look. Um, UL is at that age where any, any of these fights could be the, the one where it's, he just doesn't look the same anymore. Right. I mean, what tech, like they say, he's like 45, 46 years old. Nobody really knows how old he is. Yeah. Is he in great shape? But you know, it's one thing to be in great shape. It's another thing to be, you know, um, able to to you know fight at the highest level um luckily for both of these guys uh, luckily it's a three-round fight so for yoel he won't have to conserve as much he'll be able to do his blitzes more um you know that's the problem with yoel is it's you, you know when you're playing a video game and it's a it's a video game and it's a fighting game and you have the stamina bar and it keeps you from just spamming power you know all the time and so you know you'll you'll do a little flurry and then you gotta wait for your stamina to go up. Uh, yeah, you, you, the video games never have the the UFC video games never do this for Yoel, but this is literally how he fights. Is he goes, he has one big rush, his stamina bar goes all like he just it, it dumps all of his stamina, and then it takes about two minutes for all of that to regain, and then once all of that comes all the way back up, he does another blitz. Right, it's exactly how he works. Um, and in five round fights. Uh, you know, he just conserves a lot more because he obviously has to go the extra 10 minutes. We're in a three-round fight. I think that's why you see a lot of uh, third-round finishes from him is because by the time the third round hits, his opponents usually have 
kind of used up everything that they have, not gas tank wise, but they have shown you well everything that they have. And so by the time the third round comes, you all knows exactly when to explode. And because, you know, maybe they're not totally gas, but they are a little bit slower than they were in that first round. He's able to capitalize on mistakes a lot more. Um, and capitalize on his own moments a, a lot better than he would have, you know, in the first couple rounds. Um the problem that it's only a three-round fight is, um, I guess that's more on Davis's part, is that Davis could really, you know, um, drag it out. Because uh, D- Davis definitely has the way better gas tank, let's be honest. Um, he can go, if uh, Yoel is a sprinter, Davis is a long-distance runner, if, if you guys, if that analogy makes sense. Davis can go the same pace um, for a whole 25 minutes, Right. Um, does he have a huge output? No, he has a very methodical, uh, pace, but it, it can be a little bit of, uh, you know, when he does strike, it is kind of, uh, in volume. Uh, he does put good combinations together and he just has the long lengthy style, uh, to give you all a lot of problems. Um, he has just as good wrestling as Yoel. Um, if anything, he has more consistent wrestling than Yoel. So if Yoel can't really threat with a takedown and he's just relying on explosive, you know, moments and abilities, Davis has no problem being on the back pedal. Like, don't be surprised if this fight kind of looks like the Israel Adesanya fight. Um, I, I expect Davis to push Yoel when his back is against the fence. Uh, I expect Davis to use a lot of kicks. Davis's kicks are phenomenal. Um, are they the most powerful? No, he does have a couple kick finishes, but overall, he he mostly just uses them in combination and to keep his opponents at bay. Um, and Davis is a really—I mean, even at this point in his career, he's a really hard guy to 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 plan for, to fight, to prepare for, and and like I just said, to 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 fight just inside the cage. Um, his style is just super hard because it's really it's really hard to look good again. Even though you might get the win against Phil, it's super hard to look really good. Um, I mean, look at Anthony Johnson. Uh, even though Phil was favored to win that fight, uh, Phil couldn't get the takedown. Anthony, you know, um, uh, trained really perfectly for that fight. And the only reason why Phil couldn't get anything off is because he couldn't get a takedown and he couldn't hurt Anthony with anything on the feet. So Anthony just picked his shots and did all of the damage standing, uh, sprawling and brawling. It was a classic sprawling brawl kind of fight. And so I don't, I can't see Yoel having a big explosion and, and, and finishing Phil. And if he does it, I will be so surprised and it will get me so excited for Yoel and Bellator. Um, so I just overall, I think this is a really risky fight for Scott to put on for, for UL's first fight. Because if he loses this, I mean, there, there are still other fights for him, but that, that kind of magic, because that will be four in a row. And if he loses to somebody like Phil, it's really not that big of a deal. But in the in the larger schemes and the marketability part of it, it's going to be hard to like really get excited about UL versus anybody else besides Anthony. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um trying to think if there's anything else i really want to break down with this fight it's just um win or lose i don't know okay so if phil went like i don't know where the winner goes here because the the rest of the tournament still kind of has to play out so both guys will probably be on the shelf unless they fight a winner of whoever loses in the next end of the bracket i i guess that actually makes sense because uh you got vadim and um 
you got Vadim and Anthony, and you got Corey and Bader um, here in Arizona uh, just a couple weeks in October. I think like I think just in about four weeks. So the winner of this fight, I'm, I guarantee you the winner and the loser will get paired up against the losers against uh, that end of the bracket over there. Because let's look at um, Bellator's light heavyweight rankings. So you got Vadim. Number one, uh, you got Vadim as the champ, Bader at number one, Corey at number two, Phil at number three, Anthony Johnson at number four. You got Julius at number five, Lyoto at number six, Grant Neal. So, yeah, I mean, like, okay, let's just say Yol loses. What do you do, a, a Machida rematch? Like, I'm sick of Machida having all these rematches in Bellator of fights that weren't even good the first time. Um you know, he, he had that rematch with Gagard, lost that. I think that was a split decision. Um, and that wasn't even a good fight in the UFC. He just had a rematch with Phil, lost split decision again. That wasn't a good fight in the UFC. Um, the only thing that made uh, Michida versus Yuol a good fight in the UFC was the, the explosion and the, uh, you know, how Romero ended up knocking uh, Machida out. So I guess if you want another highlight reel, I guess you can do that. And they're both in their 40s. So I guess you can do that. Um, not something I really want to see. But if, if Yuel does lose, I still want to see the Melvin Manhoof fight. They got Melvin raked at number nine, which is like, how do you have Melvin Manhoof in your top 10? I love Melvin Manhoof to death. He has some of my favorite fights across MMA and kickboxing. But uh, if he's in your top 10, you probably got a problem uh, in that division. Uh, but yeah, there's not a lot of options for those guys um, while this uh, tournament is still going on. Um, uh, yeah, so there's that. Uh, what's in the co-main? There's a pretty good co-main, right? Uh, yeah, it's not too crazy. It's uh, Neiman Gracie and Mark uh, Leminger. Um, I mean... This is kind of Neiman's fight to lose. If Mark can keep it standing, he might make it interesting. But I just see Neiman Gracie getting the takedown and maybe not being able to submit him because Mark is a tough guy, but definitely controlling him from the top. Um, yeah, you got Georgie Kanaharian taking on Saul Rogers. That should be a good fight. Grant Neal, the undefeated prospects on the undercard. He should be all right. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot going on. Um, let's see. Is there anything else news-wise that I want to get into? Give me a second. Um, no, let's uh, move right next into my next little segment here. I'm trying to really get away from the recap preview, recap preview news, recap preview news fucking cycle. So um, I thought I'd introduce a couple new things today. The first one being um, I kind of went through the odd. Again, it's a light weekend, so there's not too many odds, and, and it's a lot of uh, no-names and up-and-comers, so I'm just not familiar with a lot of them. Um, but some odds to look out for this weekend, um, Davis, Phil Davis is actually a, a plus 110 underdog. Um, there's definitely money on him. I, again, this is not a good fight for you. Well, if he can't get the takedown and if he can't get, if he can't find openings to explode on Phil Davis, it's going to be a long drawn out three rounds for you. and don't, don't be surprised if Phil can catch you all with a kick just from the way you all dips. Um, 
don't be surprised if Davis makes you all look real fucking stupid in there. So at plus 110, throwing Davis into a parlay is actually not that bad of an idea. Uh, next up, you got Devin Clark at plus 115 against uh, Ian Kutalaba. Again, in my breakdown, I said I don't really see how Devin Clark... I, I, I see how Devin Clark can lose this fight, but I don't favor it. I definitely think Devin Clark has the advantage. So for him at plus 115, definitely some good odds to look at. Next up, uh, Neiman Gracie. He's only a minus 275 favorite, which is a pretty heavy heavy favorite. But again, throwing him in a parlay um, just to increase your odds uh, you know, can definitely uh, can, can't hurt you. Because uh, I definitely think that's the lock of the weekend. Um Oh, and then, uh, yeah, and then Penny. Um, I always forget how to say her last name, but she's taking on Raquel Pennington. She's the underdog, too, at plus 110. Um, and I really don't see, unless, like, Pennington just pushes Penny against the fence for all three rounds, which could happen, but I think Penny is at the point where, in her game, where she won't let that happen, and I think where Raquel's on her way out and doesn't really have the the strength or intensity to really keep the fight there. Um, so you got Penny at 110, Neiman Gracie at minus 275, Devin Clark at plus 115, and Davis at plus 110. You know what? And I think I actually might put my money where my mouth is. And you know what? Let's just see. Let's see if I – I don't think Bovada has odds for Bellator, which is always a fucking pain in the ass. God damn it. Yeah, they don't because I really want to put Davis in there. Uh, so let's just say, look, if I just put, let's see, okay, if I put Panny, Kinzad, Kinzad, or whatever, and where's Devin Clark, and Devin Clark, if I parlay those two, say I put 100 bucks, let's say I put $25, I could win 87 bucks, I actually might do that, yeah, together with both those, it's plus 351, that's not bad odds. That is not a bad parlay to make. Twenty-five bucks, one eighty-seven. Let's see if you put a hundred dollars down. If you win a hundred dollars down, you win three hundred and fifty-one bucks. I might be putting a hundred bucks down. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's a whole day's work for me. Shit. Yeah, that's not bad. And if you can find figure out how to put Davis and Neiman Gracie in there, it's only gonna make it better. So um, definitely look out for those. Those are some odds to keep out if you wanna. Play a little bit, make the fights a little more entertaining. Uh, definitely um, put those ones together. Um, next up, um, doing a today in MMA history. Uh, so today is the 14th, correct? So tomorrow, September 15th, will mark the 11-year anniversary of, um, I believe it was on, on Versus, or maybe it was on Spike. I don't really remember. But it was uh, Marquardt versus Husamir Paul Harris. And you're probably listening to this going, who the fuck cares? But this event was actually really fucking good. Um, and I just want to talk about the main two fights. One second. Let me bring that back up. Nate Marquardt. Uh, if you haven't seen this fight, this is... Uh, all of Husamir Paul Harris's fight are weird for one way or another. Um... Whether he is getting, uh, whether he's getting flatlined, whether he's ripping somebody's knee off, whether he thinks he has a guy finished, so he stops. He thinks the fight, or he tries to stop the fight himself, and he jumps on the cage to start celebrating, only to have the fight restarted and then to have to keep fighting, 
or in this case, whether he thinks uh, Nate Marquardt is greasing and loses his um, he loses his uh, ankle ankle lock or knee bar, and then decides to talk to the ref about it, and then in the midst of it gets fucking knocked out. It's always something weird when Husamar Palaharis fights. Um, so yeah, so this was September fifteenth. 2010 so 11 years ago tomorrow in austin texas this is nuts i think this is the last time they were in austin uh i don't know what fucking ufc has against austin but yeah they don't like going there too much i think it's because they don't have a big arena um but um let me just bring up this fight card yeah attendance only seven thousand, about a six hundred thousand dollar gate man that was crazy for the ufc back in the day uh but yeah 11 years ago but um this fight's nuts. So Nate Marquardt, Husamer Paul Harris, they come out. Nate Marquardt has his hands low, and it's that typical, like, you know, whenever you see somebody fight Damian Maya, they're not worried about a stand-up, so they just keep his hands low. They just keep their hands low, and they almost do that skating bicycle movement, on you know, on the outside where they're, like, kind of like how Justin Gaethje looked against Khabib where he's, like, not sitting on any of his shots because he's so worried about getting taken down. He's just like sloppily and overextending on all of his punches and waiting for the shot and kind of having shots come from the hip. And that's kind of how Nate's looking. And then um, Husamir finally gets in on a single, uh, gets in on a double, gets the um, post up, hits the switch, gets on top, ends up going for a knee. And Nate Marquardt just pulls right out, just completely slips right out. And as soon as he does, Nate uh, Husamer Palhars from the bottom looks at the ref and tries pointing at Nate Marquardt's knee. And at this point, Nate Marquardt looks at him and goes, you fucked up, buddy, and just comes down with a giant right hand. Hurts Husamir, he covers up. Nate's kind of standing over him in that kind of like horse stance and just pummeling the shit out of him, gets the stoppage, right? And then Husamir walks over to him and starts rubbing his leg like, hey, you're greased, and starts this crazy confrontation. Uh, you know, only Nate knows what re- what really happened. I think he just had a good sweat. I guarantee you he shaved his legs, got a really good sweat going, and just was super slippery. I'm sure in the back just got super, super sweaty, probably had sweat on sweat on sweats on, just fucking trying to get his legs as fucking moist as possible. So if he did get in a position like that, uh, you know, he could get out. Um, you know, ever since the, uh, the GSP greasing scandal, the UFC and their commissions, they're pretty good. Uh, and, and the, the officials, they're pretty good about checking that kind of shit. Um, there's like three or four lines of defense that the, the fighters have to go through. So I, I, I give Nate the benefit of the doubt there. And I think just, I, I dude, I feel like for a guy like Husamar, like when he, when things don't go his way, when he, I think he's so used to getting those leg locks when it didn't happen, he was confused. And I think he had to look at it that way, like, oh, I'm fucking, there's no way he could have gotten out of this. This was a tight grip, but neither here nor there. Um, and I just want to say, like, I know if you just started watching, you know, uh, MMA um, within the last couple years, with even within even the last five years, you really didn't know who Nate Marquardt was. Nate Marquardt was one of these guys who was like a fucking phenom in the division, a terror, beat everybody except the high-end wrestlers and Anderson Silva. Everybody else, he fucking demolished bad. Knocked out Damian Maya with one punch when Damian Maya tried a stupid flying knee on him. Um, had a, this was a little bit later, but had that video game knockout sequence over Tyron Woodley, which was after all of this. 
Um, actually, not too many fights removed from the Paul Harris fight, but had that crazy finish against Wilson Govea. Go back and watch that fight. He hits him with a head kick, or he throws a head kick, and he kind of spins all the way through. And then on the after he spins, he hits Wilson with a fucking back fist. Um, insanity. It was complete insanity. And before that, knocked out Martin Campman in like a minute and a half. Um, yeah, Marquardt used to be a terror. Um, but then he just, you know, he, he ran into guys like Chael Sonnen who just had the wrestling advantage over him. And uh, if you guys have a minute, go back and watch that fight too. Nate Marquardt versus Chael Sonnen. That was a great fight. Um, Chael's getting the takedowns, but is just getting beaten up with elbows from the bottom. And then he's, his face is so bloody, it actually helps Nate sink in a, a, a guillotine at the end of the third round. Um pretty close pretty pretty close to the to the last minute and almost gets this guillotine almost gets this guillotine it was almost reminiscent of um anderson it was literally chill's previous fight before that it was almost like a uh like a um uh premonition of things to come for chill um because it, he almost got tapped by this guillotine by marquardt uh, at the end of the third round, I think actually after, after I finish this up, I'm gonna go back and watch that because I'm getting chills just thinking about it. But anyways, um, you know, uh, Marquardt was kind of the phenom of the division, and you know, we never got that Anderson rematch. We don't know how that would have went. Anderson probably would have smoked him, but still, um, no, Marquardt doesn't get the respect that he deserves, and I don't even think he probably got the paychecks that he deserved back then for being as good as he was. But um, I can't believe that fight was 11 years ago. Because uh, I remember sitting at home watching that. Um, and then in the next fight was actually, or the co-main event was uh, Charles Oliveira in his second UFC fight. Taking it on short notice against Efrain Escudero, who actually didn't make weight. <coughs> which is kind of funny because that's usually Charles Oliveira. But this was Oliveira's second fight. And in Efrain's defense, he had gone through like three or four different opponent changes. Uh, he was supposed to be on one card, but then fill on, filled in for somebody else, so he got moved to this card that he was on, but then that person dropped out, so then they brought in somebody else, and it ended up being Charles Oliveira. And Charles Oliveira is coming off of his debut over Darren Elkins, where he got a, uh, he got a, um, uh, uh, sorry guys, one second, um, he, uh, Sorry, I just got a weird text message. Got a little bit distracted. Anyway, sorry guys. Um, but he got a weird, or he got a, a cool um, uh, triangle armbar over fucking Darren Elkins. Sorry guys, I apologize. Back on track here. Um, so taking this fight, and this is Efrain coming off of the Ultimate Fighter. So uh, Efrain had a lot of a lot of hype. He had his win over Felipe Nova to win. Knocked out Cole Miller with a vicious right hook. Uh, ended up losing to Evan Dunham um, late in their fight, but I think Efrain was, if I can remember correctly, he was doing pretty good up until getting armbarred. Had a nice win over Dan Lozon, uh, and then has this fight against this new up-and-comer in Charles Oliveira. And at this point, Charles Oliveira is 20 years old. And if you go back and watch this fight, you can you can tell it, it, it I mean, like, it, it, it's just so amazing to watch, to, to rewatch Charles when he was 20 years old, and to see him as the champ now, you can tell, like, when you watch Charles now, he's still the same guy from when he was 20, just totally refined, and I, and I love seeing the evolution of a fighter like that, because uh, a lot of times you don't really see, you know, it, 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 it's hard to see, like, the, the dramatic changes over a fighter, 
But when you see a guy to have the ebb and flows that Charles Oliveira has had, and you see him in his in his second fight in the UFC, and he's just a fucking wild man. Like he's this super super skinny undefined kid, uh, twenty year old, and uh, he's going in there. He's pushing the pace against Efrian. He's throwing all this crazy shit. Nothing's in combinations. It's just all these crazy wild strikes. He's throwing head kicks out of nowhere, flying knees coming like you know he's coming he, he's looking like a, a 20 year old you know crazy brazilian wildcat right like he's just throwing from you throwing wide punches and it's fun and it's, it's exciting um but it's just like like you watch him now and it's like crisp left hook and the way he puts combinations together and he uses the body and he knows when to kick it's just if you would have watched that second fight you you wouldn't have you wouldn't have expected the kind of turmoil that Charles kind of hit you know midway through his career he had a lot of great ones early and then just kind of became this middle of the pack guy and couldn't get over the hump and whether it was a weight issue a training issue or what but then for him in the last couple years to really fucking figure it out and then to him come all the way up now to be the champion it's just amazing to see and to really appreciate a guy like Charles Oliveira, you gotta go back and you gotta watch his early fights, because what he does against Efrain here is just amazing. Um, again, acts like a wild guy, throwing all these crazy stuff. Efrain's kind of giving it back to him too with takedowns and giving it his own combinations. But then Charles Oliveira does this crazy back take while he has an over under from the front, so he gets into an over under. He pulls with his left. He pulls Efrain's right arm down uses it to spring all the way over and around Efrian's back, gets in the choke, Efrian runs over to the cage to try and push him off, and uh, Charles doesn't even have it all the way under the neck and is able to get a nice little, like, uh, just a nice squeeze over the chin and gets the tap. And at this point, um, everybody was thinking, like, oh, this kid's legit. This this kid's going to be a phenom at this class. He's only 20 years old. And again, this was at 155, not 145. So everyone was thinking like, oh, this kid, this kid's going to be real. And then what's crazy is after this fight, he goes to take on Jim Miller and comes out strong, but then gets knee barred. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe this kid, you know, just has some learning, uh, you know, just needs to get, um, get some, you know, wins under his belt or you just get more experience. Maybe, maybe we were getting a little bit too crazy on this kid. And you got to remember, this is right around the uh, the time John Jones is coming to his prosperity, and so at this time there was this kind of thing about young prospects that, like, just because pretty much because everyone thought it was happening to Jones, like this was kind of the new thing, like all these waves of new kids were going to come through and be phenoms like Jones. But if time shows you anything, because we've never seen anything like Jones since, right? So he's truly a one of a kind athlete, and you know becoming the world champ in a decorated weight class at 21 years old is really reserved just for him um but anyways but he he goes on has a decent fight against nick lens technically wins but then it gets overturned because it was an illegal knee looks like shit against cerrone gets finished and then drops down to to featherweight and has like decent wins bad losses decent wins bad losses all the way up until where he's at now right but yeah, if you guys have a chance, go back and watch. It was just a, a beautiful raw. That's a, that's the best way to explain it, uh, to, to describe it. I'm sorry. It's just a raw version of Charles Oliveira. And it, it, it again, it's just great to see how refined he is now, to, to have that back-to-back comparison. I guarantee you, if you go and watch 
Go watch this Efrain Escudero fight and then go watch the Michael Chandler fight back to back. And you'll be like, you can kind of see the the skeleton of the same per, of the same fighter style wise, but just again, totally refined, totally fucking refined. Um, but yeah, that kind of that, that does it for my today in MMA history. Um, one thing I wanted to get get to last week, but I ran out of time. Is um, did any of you guys see Badahari, his comeback to glory against that fucking uh, I can't I'm not even gonna try and butcher his name or attempt his name, but that Russian cat. I'm telling you, hands down, that was the craziest comeback I've ever seen in kickboxing history. And maybe you, maybe some, if you guys can think of anything else, fucking send it to me. But off of my head, in most recent memory, that is the craziest come from behind knockout I've ever seen in my entire life in kickboxing. Whether it's K1, Glory, Lion Fight, I don't give a fuck. That was the most insane thing I've ever seen. Um, when I was a kid, I loved Badahari. He was. He, you know, in K1 and in, in, in all of that, like, he was the man, that Moroccan prince, dude. He was the fucking man. His wars with everybody, Alistar, everybody. He had wars with everybody. And it's it's crazy because he's more technical now than he was then. Before, he was just a marauder. He had crazy power. Like, he would knock guys dead with those 16-ounce gloves. It didn't make any goddamn sense because he really, like, besides his length and his, his size, like, his, his height... He really wasn't that much of like a physical specimen, but now he's just like this technical beast and he's got the body to back it up because he's on all the sauce. And I mean like he he knocked him down two times in the first round, two times in the second round, literally going in for the kill. Literally like, like the fight is about to be over and from body shots nonetheless, from body shots. And this kid with this crazy leg dexterity against the ropes, he literally is leaning back on the ropes, throws a head kick off of his lead leg, and knocks out Badahari. It was insane. It was absolutely fucking insane. I was on my computer screaming. It's been so long since I've seen something like that even in MMA. It was absolutely fucking insane. Um... I don't think it's the end for Batahari. It's definitely going to catapult the other fucking guy. And I can't wait to watch that guy fight again. I don't know if they'll do a rematch or what. Or if they'll do something with Alistar since he's back. But uh, fuck, man. Uh, that shit was fucking amazing. And I can't see... And I'm kind of excited for what Glory has to offer now a little bit. I don't really like their business model. I don't really like how they do things. I've heard really bad things about Glory behind the scenes. But I mean, I, it, you know, it's a fight promotion and... You know, they're all kind of sharks and shady. So, you know, what are you going to do? But I just wanted to touch on that. That was fucking amazing. Um, what else is going on? Um, I hate to end on this, but, um, you know, this is a decent fight. But in the boxing world, you got Sean Porter taking on Terrence Crawford. It is official for November. Uh, I think, like, at the end of November. Um, but, yeah, it's like it's a fucking great fight. But, I mean, like, why isn't Terrence Crawford fighting Spence? It's a great opportunity for fucking Porter, but I mean Porter's really just become the guy that they want these really the the the, the number ones to just have good fights off of. I mean, how many times are we gonna do this? Is Porter just gonna be the fucking? You can't even slay like the the sacrificial lamb because he's not being sacrificed because it's gonna be competitive. It's gonna be fun. Porter's gonna push the pace. Porter's gonna make it an ugly fight for Crawford, and it will be good. But it's like this isn't the fight anybody like this. Is, 
it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. But this isn't the fight where we get to see number one versus number two. This is number one versus the best guy outside of the best guys. You know what I mean? Like, Porter is one of the best welterweights in the division, but he's had plenty of opportunities to come up over these guys, and he never fucking does. And I love Sean Porter. I love his style. I love what he did to Spence. I, I You know, a lot of people thought he beat Spence. Uh, just came up with it, came short with that knockdown. And who doesn't fucking love Porter? That dude gets knocked down in one of those last rounds and then gets up and goes, let's fucking go. Who doesn't love a guy like that? That's what guy, That's what guys want to see, and you rarely ever see that in boxing nowadays. So I'm not trying to shit on Sean Porter. I'm just saying, when are we going to get the fights that we want to goddamn see? Um, you know... And I know it was already supposed to happen. We were supposed to get Joshua versus Tyson Fury. And then fucking politics get in the way. And these stupid fucking boxing contracts get in the way. And now we got to see a fucking rematch where we don't need to see. Like, we've been told twice how this fight goes two different ways. And yeah, could this fight, could this third one be a little bit different? But so what? We want to see who's number one. And I'm sick of welterweight too. Welterweight is the best division in boxing and you don't see the right fucking fights ever. It's so fucking frustrating. Again, is this fight going to be awesome? Yeah, it's probably going to be great. It's going to be high volume, action packed. But fuck man, I want to see Spence versus Crawford before they're both a fucking 105. God damn it. That's the last thing I'm going to fucking say. I think that's all I have for this fucking week. Again, this is a light. The, September is going to be very light for MMA and combat sports throughout the board. Next week, we come back with a little bit of heat with Ortega and Volkanovski. Um, what else is on that fight card? Let's just let's just double check real quick here. Let's just check. Oh damn, I was I was riffing hard there. I was going heat, and now I just kind of stopped myself, and I shouldn't have. I should have just kept going. And now I'm rambling, rambling like a crazy person. What am I gonna do? Oh my god, who the fuck am I looking for? Oh my fucking god, he's fighting fucking god damn it how do i get this shit oh my god i've come to a complete fucking halt okay next week we got volkanovsky uh brian ortega we got shevchenko lauren murphy we got the return of motherfucking nick diaz and robbie lawler curtis blades oh this is a great card jessica andrade versus cynthia calvillo Curtis Blades, Jarzinho Rosenstruck, Nick Diaz. Oh fuck! I might have to. I might have to call out on Saturday. Ooh, Dan Hooker on the fucking prelims. Marlon Moraes versus Marab. Oh shit! Oh, this is a great card, guys. All right, we're uh, September may have been light, but we're we're ending with some heat. And then once we get into next month, I mean, it, from once October first starts till the end of the year, it's every week. I might have to just quit my job. Uh. I might just have to quit my job. I mean, it's just banger after banger across the board between all the sports. Uh, you got uh, Rico Verhoeven, <coughs> Alistair Overeem. We start the month off with uh, Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker, which should be great. You got Tyson Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder. You got uh, Usman, Colby, and that whole 268 car. It, it's nothing but fire from, the rest, from here to the rest of the year once September ends. So I can't fucking wait. Um... It's going to be a lot of fucking fun. That's all I got for today. I'll hit you savages up next week for Voltanovsky versus uh, Ortega. So keep your phones by you for all that more violence. Peace.